G'day. Welcome to God's Word Today's World, applying scripture to modern life. My name is Dan Van Werkhoven. I'm an Aussie writer and pastor living with my wife on a tiny island called Saipan. Join me today as I dig into scripture and explore how God's Word can still be applied to our lives thousands of years later. Hey, you're listening to episode 13 of the God's Word Today's World podcast. I just want to apologize in advance for any machinery noises in the background. Right as I started recording this podcast, this episode, uh, they started doing some roadworks just down the road from me. So apologies. But anyway, uh, in today's episode, we're looking at discovering spiritual gifts If you're a Christian, the moment you gave your life to Jesus and received the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gave you spiritual gifts. But it can be tough to know how to discover what our gifts are. Today, we're going to take a look at that and have a look at some of the ways to start discovering our gifts. If you want access to the show notes and the full transcript, you can find those over at www.godswordtodaysworld.com forward slash listen and look for episode 13 on the list. If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by leaving a rating and a review on iTunes. But without further ado, let's dig in. Last week in episode 12 of the God's Word Today's World podcast, we had a look in Acts at the horrible persecution that happened after Stephen was martyred. A persecution so bad it drove thousands of believers out of Jerusalem. Saul had made it his mission to destroy the church and was imprisoning every believer he could find. But despite the darkness of that event, God was still at work. There was still light in the darkness. The gospel, instead of being snuffed out, suddenly spread like wildfire. As the early church scattered, they shared the gospel far and wide. Saul intended for his actions to destroy the church, but God intended it that the gospel would go out into the world in force. Instead of a small group of believers heading out as missionaries, thousands headed out. Certainly, it was under painful circumstances that they left, but the results were no less significant. No matter how dark events appear to be, there is always a light shining in that darkness. We just may not see it, especially if we're focused only on the darkness. Today, we're looking at one man's desire for the gift of God and where he went wrong with that desire. We'll look at also at the correct way to desire gifts of the Spirit and how indeed we should desire those gifts. Our passage today is Acts chapter 8 verses 29 through to 25. This is the World English Bible. But there was a certain man, Simon by name, who used to practice sorcery in the city and amazed the people of Samaria making himself out to be some great one, to whom they all listened, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. They listened to him, because for a long time he had amazed them with his sorceries. 
But when they believed Philip preaching good news concerning God's kingdom and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself also believed. Being baptized, he continued with Philip, seeing signs and great miracles occurring. He was amazed. Now when the apostles who were in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen on none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, sorry, of Christ Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Holy Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that whomever I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart isn't right before God. Repent, therefore, of this, your wickedness, and ask God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the poison of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that none of the things which you have spoken happen to me. They therefore, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the good news to many villages of the Samaritans. So last week, we saw that Philip was in a city in Samaria, preaching the gospel and performing miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit. Also in that city was a man named Simon who practiced sorcery there and amazed all the people. Exactly what kind of sorcery he practiced is unknown, but whatever power he had was likely given to him by Satan. It was evil power, but people called him the great power of God. What exactly his power was, we don't know, but what we do know for certain is that it was not from God. But then Philip arrives in the city, and through God's actual power, through the Holy Spirit, Philip starts performing real miracles and preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. Verse 13 says that Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Now at this point, while Simon believed, he hadn't yet received the Holy Spirit. Under normal circumstances, someone will receive the Holy Spirit as soon as they accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. But in this important time in history, the Holy Spirit hadn't yet arrived to the new believers in Samaria. Why? Because God was showing the people the authority of the apostles and also establishing the unity of the church, regardless of whether people were Jews, Samaritan, or Gentile. Jesus had given the apostles the charge of leading the church, of establishing it and building it. And here, God is establishing again that yes, the apostles do have authority. Jesus came first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles, the rest of the world. Romans 1 verse 16. The apostles' authority was shown here because they needed to go to the city in Samaria and lay their hands on the believers for them to receive the Holy Spirit. 
This showed the people of Samaria that, yes, the believers in Jerusalem had God-given authority. This was particularly important because Philip was a Hellenistic Jew. He wasn't originally from Israel, but from a somewhat different culture. So this event solidified the apostles' authority and also showed the unity of the church. It proved to the Samaritans that they were accepted by the Christians in Jerusalem. They were accepted by the people who for so long had rejected them and looked on them with disdain. God showed at this event that it doesn't matter what our background is. All can have faith in Jesus. All can be saved. As Peter and John were in the city laying on their hands and people were receiving the Holy Spirit, Simon was watching and was amazed at the Spirit being given by the laying on of hands. And he wanted it. He wanted that power. He didn't ask for the Holy Spirit. He asked for the power to give the Holy Spirit to others. Exactly why he wanted it isn't said, but because he offered money and because of Peter's response, his reasons for wanting that power were clearly far from pure. It might be easy to say that Peter's response was harsh and unfair. How could he have known Simon's motives? But remember, this is the same Peter to whom the Holy Spirit gave the ability to see Ananias' and Sapphira's hearts. One of Peter's gifts appeared to be the gift of discernment. The Holy Spirit gave him the ability to see people's motives. This is the second situation where he has done exactly that and seen straight through someone's words and seen what they really meant. And given the severity of Peter's response to Simon, I assume that Simon saw a way of getting rich from having the power to give people the Holy Spirit. Perhaps he thought he could sell the Holy Spirit by charging people to have him lay his hands on them and give them the Holy Spirit. Regardless of what he intended to do with this ability, though, he thought he could buy the incredible gift of God with money. Canaan defeats the purpose of it being a gift, right? Simon wanted the gift of having, of giving the Spirit to people. What Peter and John were doing, the laying on of hands and people receiving the Holy Spirit, was a spiritual gift given to them for that situation. Now, desiring to have a spiritual gift isn't wrong, but we do need to be careful about why we desire a spiritual gift. Is it so we can receive praise for it? So we can receive the glory for that gift? That's what Simon wanted. He wanted the ability to give the Holy Spirit so he could receive the glory and perhaps make a heap of money off selling the Holy Spirit to people. No. Rather, we should desire spiritual gifts so that we can be a blessing to others. We should desire spiritual gifts so that we can use them to build up the church, so that we can support the body of Christ that we're a part of. I talked several weeks ago about how we are each responsible for being an active part of our churches. If we call a church our home, we're a part of that body. If we don't actively seek to serve in our church, then we're a handicap to the church. 
we hold back its ability to function at its best. The more parts of a body that function well, the healthier the body is as a whole. Every believer, every person who follows Jesus as their Lord and Savior who died on the cross for their sins and rose again three days later defeating death has spiritual gifts. Those gifts are to be used for supporting the body of Christ, the church. They're for building up and serving the believers we meet with every Sunday. On the flip side, for every part of the body that doesn't work, that is, every person in the church who doesn't actively serve in some capacity, the weaker the body is. Countless churches have failed over the years because the weight of keeping it going fell on one person or one family, usually the pastor and his family. Some of those churches even had people who attended them who were surprised when the pastor told them that the church was closing. People who said, but I would have helped. You just needed to give me something to do. And that can be another trap. Not only do we as individuals in our church need to be willing to help, but we need to actively be seeking ways to serve, actively seeking out our gifts and how we can use them. Imagine a body where only one arm knows its job and does it. The rest of the body just sits there. It's happy to help out, but it doesn't make any effort to find out how to help, to find out what its particular skills are. And so one day the working arm says, okay, um, I need someone to turn the page of the sermon because I'm busy getting a drink so the voice can keep talking. Uh, who could do that? Uh, foot, can you turn the page? Um, I don't know, I can try. Can you show me how? Sure, it's easy. You just grab the corner of the page and slide it sideways. Got it? Um, sure. Whatever, I can do that. And so the foot takes on a job it's really not good at and begins to grow bitter about being stuck doing a task that is unnatural to it. The same thing can happen in a church when the pastor is left trying to find people to serve in various ministries. Sometimes they'll get the right person for the right job. Other times, they'll get the quiet, reserved introvert who never smiles to be on the door greeting and making people feel super welcome at church. And you can bet that introvert is really happy with how they're serving too. Sometimes it's necessary though to fill positions like that because a church is desperate. There are not many people and there are a lot of jobs to do. Sometimes we do things that don't come naturally to us in order to help the church, in order to build things up. But how much better would it be if every member of a church were actively seeking to serve? If instead of the weight of finding people for jobs falling on one person, each of us looked to see how we could serve. Oh hey, I notice you don't have anyone greeting at church. I love people and making them feel welcome. Is that something I could do? If you do know what your gifts are, what you're skilled at, what God has given you a passion for, but that role seems to be filled in your church, it doesn't hurt to still talk to your pastor and talk to the person currently in that role 
see if they need or want help. Sometimes people are just doing a job because it's there and needs to be done, but it's not a strength of theirs and they'd be thrilled to let someone else who is more passionate about it take over. We don't know until we ask, until we talk to people. But what if I don't know my spiritual gifts? Some of you might be wondering. There are many who don't know what their gifts are. You could be a Christian for decades and not know what your gifts are. It took me 15 years to work out that I have the spiritual gift of teaching. But how is it possible to go for so long without knowing? We all receive spiritual gifts when we give our lives to Christ, right? It's possible because these gifts don't just become apparent to us one day. Rather, we need to earnestly seek them out. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1a NIV Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. Eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. How many of you know what your spiritual gifts are? If you don't know, how many of you have eagerly desired them, have actively sought to find out what your gifts are? It's not enough to say, yeah, I want spiritual gifts. We need to eagerly desire them and work to discover them. Until fairly recently, I made no effort to discover my spiritual gifts. It wasn't until about three years ago that I actually tried to find what my gifts were and really sought them out. But the good news is, it's actually not that hard to discover our spiritual gifts. There's no strange and mysterious process that happens and then, poof, suddenly we know. It really boils down to two things. One, what are we passionate about? Two, trial and error. So, number one, what are we passionate about? Often, our spiritual gifts are related to something we already love to do. An interesting example, I mentioned that one of my spiritual gifts is teaching. Now, those who know me know I'm actually terrified of public speaking. I'm a little more used to it nowadays, but it still makes me nauseated and uncomfortable. So, teaching and not liking public speaking, that doesn't seem to fit. However, I do love helping people. I love taking complicated things and explaining them in a way that makes sense. I love seeing people's eyes light up as they get it, as something formerly incomprehensible and difficult suddenly becomes understandable. I have a huge passion for understanding things and finding out the why to everything. I am never satisfied with answers of do it this way because we always do it this way. Yes, okay, fine. You always do it that way, but why do you always do it that way? What happens if you don't do it that way? If I don't get told why I shouldn't do something a certain way, I can guarantee you at some point I'll probably try it and find out for myself. And I broke many expensive tools as a machinist discovering for myself why he didn't do things a certain way. That passion to discover and understand the why 
is something I've always had as a Christian. I never would have connected it to teaching or even preaching, though, if I hadn't been actively seeking out and desiring my spiritual gifts. So a great start to discovering our gifts is to look at our passions. Do we love children? Do we love making food? Do we love having guests over? Do we love telling people what a great job they do? If you love children, maybe you have a gift of teaching young minds, helping young people understand the gospel. If you love making food or having guests over, maybe you have the gift of hospitality. If you love telling people they're doing great, maybe you have the gift of encouragement. Having a spiritual gift for something doesn't mean we'll just be good at it. We'll be supernaturally good at it. It's obvious to others that that gift goes beyond any natural talent or training. So you can also ask those you know, those who know you best, what they think that you're particularly good at, gifted at. They may well have seen something in you that you never knew existed. Sometimes what the Holy Spirit has given us a gift for is something we don't even realize is a gift because it seems to come that easily to us. I've met people who have no idea they have a gift for prayer because to them, Praying earnestly for others is easy. But spending an hour praying earnestly doesn't come naturally to many of us, especially not me. It takes a lot of work and focus for me to pray more than five minutes. Doesn't mean I shouldn't be spending more time praying, but my point is, to some people listening to this, you'll probably be scratching your head and baffled at how I could possibly struggle to pray for even a few minutes without getting distracted. Perhaps the Holy Spirit has blessed you with the gift of prayer, and that's something you can use to bless your church with. So once we identify what we're passionate about, what we're particularly skilled at and gifted at, it brings us to point two, trial and error. The second step is pretty simple. Jump in and try something. You're passionate about numbers and organization? You're great at them? Maybe you'd be a good church administrative assistant. See if your church needs something like that and give it a go. Talk to your pastor about it and tell them that you're working on discovering what your gifts are and you think that this is a possibility. Can you try it and see? Perhaps you'll find out that you're not a good fit. Maybe that you enjoy it, but you're not that great at the task. Or you can do it well, but you really don't enjoy it. And that's okay. Again, talk to your church leadership about it and see what else you can try. Something else that you might be a good fit for. I dare say that many pastors and church leaders would be thrilled to have a member of the church come up to them and say, Hey, I'm seeking to discover my spiritual gifts so that I can use them to serve the church. I'm really passionate about this and this, so maybe could I give this area a try? Or if you think there's a better fit given what I've told you, could you suggest it? 
Simply walking up to a pastor or a church leader and saying, I want to serve is great, but many, I think, would struggle to think of something off the top of their heads unless it was a particular task that they've been wanting done for a while, and that may not be something that you have any skill or gifting in. But when we go to the leaders in our church, after having put some thought into it and having some suggestions and ideas, that's a whole different story. If you come up to me on a Sunday morning and said you wanted to serve, the first thing that would come to my mind is that we need someone to greet at the door. Maybe that's a fit for you. Maybe it's not. But if you came up to me and said, I'm a drummer or a percussionist, and I'd love to serve on the worship team. I'd say, perfect. Join us for practice next week, and we'll give you a trial run, see how you go, because I'll happily step back from music as much as I love it and take more time to pray and go over the sermon on a Sunday morning so that I'm better prepared to teach. See, if you just want to serve but have no idea what you're good at, church leadership We'll just try to find you any old job. But if you have a particular skill and passion and make that known to church leadership, that opens up a whole new set of options for the leadership of your church. So it's okay to see a spiritual gift and desire it. The fact that Simon desired to have the ability to give others the Holy Spirit wasn't in and of itself wrong. What was wrong was the reason why he wanted that ability. He wanted to purchase it and use it for his own glory, for his own gain. We should be desiring spiritual gifts, but it's important that we desire them for the right reason. We should desire them so that we can serve others, so that we can build up the church. And my challenge this week is this. Eagerly desire spiritual gifts and seek to put them to use in your church to build others up and be an active and functioning part of the body. If you don't know what your gifts are, go through those two steps that I talked about earlier. Think about what you're passionate about and what you're great at. Think about some areas that you could possibly serve in your church and talk to your pastor about giving them a go. Just talk to your pastor about what you think your gifts are and ask them for suggestions. Many people would love to hear from members of their congregation who want to serve and build up the church because the church desperately needs every single one of us. Because until every single one of us is serving in our church, is building up the body of our church, Our churches are going to be crippled and weak. They won't be functioning at their best until all of us are serving. If you already know what your spiritual gifts are, awesome. You can skip step one and instead think of some areas you could serve in your church. Then talk to your pastor about it. Think of ways you can serve your community. We each have the responsibility to seek out ways to serve. And if we do so, our churches will grow stronger. Thank you for joining me today on God's Word Today's World. 
If you'd like to view the show notes or leave a comment, you can find the complete list of all podcast episodes over at www.godswordtodaysworld.com forward slash listen. Hope to see you next week. Now go apply God's word to your life.